Howdy and welcome to the 10 Week Bible Study. This is week seven, day two of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 19, 1 through 22. Welcome back to the 10 Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us, God? Speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to encounter you in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 19, starting in verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No. But they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so here we see that Apollos has been going around. He's been telling people about Jesus. And again, most likely, it doesn't say this specifically, but most likely telling them that they have to be converted to Judaism first. And then he gives them John's baptism, water baptism of repentance, which is, is good. We all go through that. But then Paul is saying, no, we want you to be baptized in water into the name of the Lord Jesus, not into John's baptism of repentance, even though we do repent of our sins. But he's saying, we want you baptized into the name of Jesus. And then Paul is going to take it one more step further, and he's going to pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. This is an important thing that it says here. I think all of the rest of the instances in the book of Acts, they allude to this. This is the, really the first one where it says this specifically, is that they prophesied. Now remember, on the day of Pentecost, when they all spoke in tongues, Peter gets up and he doesn't say, he doesn't quote some Old Testament scripture saying that the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will speak in tongues. He gets up and he, he quotes the prophet Joel where it says that old men Young men, women, children, men and women, everyone, they will prophesy. And this will be the sign for you that the Holy Spirit has come on you, that the Lord is doing this new thing. He's come on you with power. And so Peter quotes that. And it, it again, it doesn't say this explicitly, but it's alluding to the fact that as they're speaking in tongues and going around, they're revealing the secrets of men's hearts and they are prophesying to the people that are that, that that they're speaking to in these other tongues, in in their native languages that they heard them in, and so when we see this happen throughout the book of Acts, again it does not say this explicitly. So I'm I'm reading into this in several places, but here it does say this explicitly that they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And Paul makes a big deal about this in the book of 1 Corinthians when he tells them that, listen, it's, it's prophecy, prophesying, hearing the voice of God for yourself. That's the most important spiritual gift. That's the thing that encourages people and encourages the church more than anything else. It's what you should seek more than anything else. And we continually see, we actually see that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they do this. Right? And this was the thing in the Old Testament reserved for the man of God that they prophesied. But most people understood that they don't do that. 
And we see that even the apostles at the beginning of the book of Acts, they're casting lots because they don't hear the voice of God until the day of Pentecost. Then after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes on them and they hear God's voice with clarity. That's the change in the book of Acts is that Christians now hear the followers of God, they all have access to hear God's voice with clarity. Verse eight, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So we see at this time in in Christian history, they weren't necessarily called Christians yet, although we know that they were first called Christians in Antioch, the what Christians were mostly referred to at that time were followers of the way. That was what Christianity was called, was the way at that point. They didn't call it Christianity or anything else. They call it the way. And most people understood it to be a Jewish sect, but now more and more people are understanding that even Gentiles can follow this. And so that's the name they've given it is capital W, the way. Now, I love this. Paul is is offered this opportunity in this lecture hall, right? So there's it's an indoor, it's not an outdoor amphitheater, it's an indoor lecture hall of, of Tyrannus, this place here in Ephesus. And he's given the opportunity for two full years, every single day he's in there lecturing and debating people. And, and this has become so widespread that everyone hears about it. And, and Luke makes this really bold statement that every single person in Ephesus and the province of Asia at some point either comes through the lecture hall of Tyrannus and here's Paul speaking, or people are disseminating this information of what's Paul's speaking to other people around them so that everyone, like no one has not heard the word of the Lord in this entire province. And the province of Asia is a pretty big place, a pretty populated place, and a, a pretty well-to-do place, meaning the people that are here, they travel. Whenever you have a wealthy uh, a wealthy place in the ancient world. It means that people are traveling, engaging in commerce. And so this is a very powerful moment, right? If you've got people that are getting saved and turning their hearts to the Lord in these wealthy places where they have the, the money and the means to travel, that means that you're creating more missionaries. And you don't have to be a missionary by being someone that like Paul, who has dedicated their life to it. If you're in trade, if you're regularly getting on ships and going places, or nowadays, if you're regularly getting on planes, or you got lots of windshield time in your car because you're in sales, outside sales, you are a missionary. You are traveling outside of your house, your little hometown, and you're going to all of these other places. You have the ability to bring the, the message of the Lord to people. That's what Luke is pointing out here. Is, is to them, they understood that the, the province of Asia was a very wealthy place and that the people regularly traveled for business. They're going around as merchants, as people all over the, the Roman world. So this is a big deal. That's why he's pointing this out, that everyone in the province of Asia has heard the word of the Lord. Verse 11, 
God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This is remarkable. Like this is so remarkable, right? This is, people are giving, this is a, a touchy subject, right? Because if you, this is remarkable, but it's a touchy subject at the same time. If you watch Christian TV and, and things like that, you maybe you've seen that people will essentially, like they're doing the same kind of stuff, but in this nonsensical way where they're selling you handkerchiefs. If you, you know, donate your seed offering, whatever, then they'll give you as a gift, but you're really buying these handkerchiefs and things like that from the men of God on these programs or whatever. Um, you know, this is all, I, 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 I'm not a fan of this. I'm not a fan of this. I believe that the Lord still heals. I believe he does these things, but I'm not a fan of, of selling these kinds of things, these kinds of trinkets. Um, it, 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 it turns my stomach because what we see here is this really happened, right? This wasn't, the, the, the Lord starts pouring out such powerful miracles in the cities of Ephesus. They start doing this. Paul is using handkerchiefs. He's, I don't know if he's praying over them, but they're just handing them to him and taking them. There's such faith stirred up that people are getting healed. The word of the Lord is spread. People have faith and they're actually getting healed by touching these handkerchiefs. The hang, there's no, there's no secret sauce in the handkerchief. The handkerchief is nothing. Okay. Don't understand the handkerchief is the thing that's healing people. It's not, there's no talisman in, in Christianity. That's not how this is working. Like Jesus says in, in one of the gospels where the woman with the issue of blood reaches out and touches his, the, the, just the, the bottom hem of his robe secretly as he's moving through the crowd. He's, he stops. He's like, who touched me? Peter's like, what do you mean who touches people like pressing up against you? And Jesus is like, no, I felt power leave me. And he takes the woman, he finds the woman. He's like, your faith has healed you. And this is what I discussed earlier. I've had this friend named Carl who's, he's, he's told me hundreds, if not literally thousands of stories. I have them on video. I've recorded them. I've done lots of interviews with them. And I've actually gone and interviewed people in Mexico that were healed supernaturally healed of things like paralysis under Carl's ministry. And he would regularly say, no, they don't have faith. It's my job to give them the faith. And he would spend hours and hours and hours with them, telling them stories about people getting healed. And then they would, biblical stories and, and contemporary stories of, of people he'd prayed for and, and been healed and stories of people he knew had been healed. And then he, he said he would see that spark in their eye. Then he would pray for them and then they would get healed. And he said they got healed every time. I asked him one time, how many people didn't get healed, Carl? And he said, two. I was like, 2%? That's crazy. He says, no. Two people in 27 years, two people didn't get healed. Out of spending all that time with people, he, he, he so vividly remembered those two because they bothered him. Because they were the only two that didn't get supernaturally healed, but he would spend two, four, six, eight hours, sometimes three days with people before he would pray for them. He'd wait for them. He'd wait to see that that little spark of faith was in their eyes. He spent that kind of time. 
I don't know anybody else who's, who's ever told me stories about spending that kind of time with people to give them that faith. But that's exactly what's going on here. Paul is day in and day out speaking to these people, reasoning with them, and, and telling them stories to increase their faith. And all of these people are like, I mean, you've got people that are probably crippled and they can't get to the, the place. And so they're bringing these handkerchiefs. It's not the handkerchief that's healing them. It's their faith in Jesus that's healing them. That's how it works. That's how it makes it very clear in scripture that that's how this works. Jesus himself says it over and over and over again. That's what's going on. So the handkerchief is not the thing. It's Jesus. It's believing that he really is who he says he is. That's the thing that heals people. That's what's driving the miracles. Even in Jesus' day, when he's walking around, it says they didn't believe in him. They didn't have faith. They didn't, they didn't believe. It says that even he couldn't do many miracles in like the, the region of Capernaum because it's like, well, that's Jesus. We grew up with him. We knew him. It says that hindered his ability to perform miracles. So this is the thing, faith in Jesus, believing that he is who he says he is. There's power in that. And we see that here. Verse 13, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Did you hear that? That is crazy. They're going around and they're like, well, Paul is over here casting out demons from people. And we're kind of, we're exorcists. We do this kind of stuff too. So let's say in, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, right? They're not saying in the name of Jesus that we believe in. They're just trying to, again, they're kind of trying to use this as like a talisman, as this like little magic handkerchief to see if it works. And this is not good, Right, the, the handkerchief is not the thing. Saying in the name of Jesus is not the thing. Just because you say in the name of Jesus doesn't make it real. And for these seven sons of Sceva, they're playing with fire. They don't believe in Jesus, but they're saying, we've seen Paul do this in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demons are like, I know Jesus and I know Paul but who the heck are you? And this guy, one guy overpowers seven men and, and, and beats them up, strips them of all their clothes so they're naked and literally bleeding as they run out. This story, right? This one story about them trying to invoke the name of the God that they don't serve, Jesus. This is going to have a powerful effect in the city of Ephesus. Not on the pagans, but on the Christians. All of the people who have given their life to Jesus, but they've kind of been playing around with this. And this is a message to us today. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus... 
They were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This 50,000 drachmas. This is, uh, in essence, several million dollars in our money. <clears throat> so you've got people realizing, oh my goodness, this, this Jesus, he don't play around. And these demons, this is real. And so they come, they're like, I don't want any part of, I don't want any part of saying the, the Jesus whom Paul preaches. I want to know him for myself. This is what you would call in our terms an old-fashioned revival, right? People are, they are, are coming under the conviction of God. And they're confessing their sins and they're coming before the people and, and turning over whatever secret sins they've got, right? This, this, these sorcery books, these are these secret sins, right? They believed in Jesus, but they've kind of held on to a little bit. There's a famous story about the Tsar of Russia who got saved, and, uh, and he was a warrior. He was a, a war maker, right? And he and all of his men, when he got saved, essentially what he did was he, he said, well, you know, I'll give my life to Jesus, but I won't give up my, my war making, right? And so they take off their belts with their, their sword and, and all that kind of stuff on it. And, and when they were baptized, they held the sword and the scabbard and the belt out of the water. Right, they take their right hand, and as they're baptized, they held that out of the water because they gave their life to Jesus, everything but that. And so it became known as uh, the unbaptized arm was the arm that they held out of the water, the thing they weren't willing to give to Jesus. And so in the same way, all of these people, they are holding part of their life out of the water. When they're baptized, they held something out. It's like, you can have everything but this. This is dangerous. This is This is bad. And here we see the fear of the Lord grips them when they hear this story about the seven sons of Sceva and they take that unbaptized arm, all of those things that they've withheld from the Lord. And they're like, you can have this too. This is serious. This is for real. They see that there is this invisible war going on between light and darkness, heaven and hell, demons and God and the angels. And they're like, I don't want any part of that darkness. And so they get rid of the darkness in their midst. This is a word to us today is to get rid of that darkness. Rid ourselves of that darkness in our hearts. Verse 21. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So Paul leaves Ephesus, which is western Turkey. He sails across the Aegean Sea and goes over to uh, what we call modern-day Greece, to, to Greece and then northern, the northern part of Greece, the mainland. And that's where we end for today. But I want to encourage you, if you have... have accepted Jesus, but you have that unbaptized arm. He said, this is the one thing that you can't have in my life, Jesus. I encourage you today to get with him and repent. Repent before the Lord of those things that you've held on to. They're like, you can have everything but this because it doesn't work that way. This is for real. This is eternal. 
And we can't have that one thing that we hang on to. We have to give Jesus everything or nothing, but we can't hang on to just a little bit. We have to give our hearts to Jesus. We're all in. We're all in or we're nothing. So if you haven't done that, I encourage you, repent of anything that you've held back and tell the Lord that you are all in. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study Podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.